You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is temptation. Hello my radio friends, I'm glad you could join me again for another program in the series Give Me the Bible. This is program number 100. Perhaps that calls for a celebration, a celebration of what the Bible says. The Bible is truly amazing. From it we can learn how to live, how to maintain and develop relationships, and develop right concepts, concepts about ourselves, about the world, about others, and of course, about God. In fact, the Bible is a guide to living. It is both an anchor and a lighthouse. But as well, the Bible gives good and appropriate advice on many subjects, even about how to deal with illness, suffering, ageing, stress, despair, loneliness, and financial problems. Today, we're going to consider the subject of temptation. At the outset, you must understand that temptation is not sin. You cannot be condemned for being tempted. Temptation is an encouragement or incitement to do something which is morally wrong or what may have bad outcomes. The word temptation used in a looser sense may refer to things like wasting money on gambling. That is not a moral issue. Gambling in itself may not be morally wrong. But when people go to excesses and spend money that should have been used to purchase family necessities, that is what's wrong. Gambling, of course, is a kind of temptation. And to a certain degree, so is advertising. The ads are so constructed to tempt or coerce you to spend your money in order to make someone else rich. What is the psychology of temptation? Firstly, there's an attraction towards something. That attraction might be enhanced by certain needs or feelings that we have. Satisfying those feelings or needs will certainly be an encouragement to turn the temptation into action. The second step involves a decision-making process. One will either accept or reject the temptation. Then there is the execution process where one takes the action. Up to this particular point there is no sin, but the actions we take will determine whether we have sinned or not. Jesus spoke clearly about being tempted. Actions begin in the mind. 
Many of our actions are deliberate and come out of our own reasoning. Very few of our actions are spontaneous. In Matthew 5, verses 26 and 27, Jesus spoke about sin and it resulting from what goes on in our minds. He he's said, You have heard it said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus clearly outlined that wrong actions begin with temptation and then the decisions we make following that temptation. But he continued, and in verse 30 he says, If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, there are two aspects to this. Jesus is saying that to avoid sinning, one should short-circuit the sin process by doing something that will prevent steps being taken between the point of temptation to the point of sin. The second aspect is to avoid, as far as possible, being in circumstances where temptations are lurking. In other words, stay away from where one is more likely to be tempted. I once knew a man, we'll call him Trevor, who was an alcoholic. Through Alcoholics Anonymous, Trevor was able to be free of alcohol for quite some years. The vernacular term for this is that he was on the wagon. Trevor thought he had his alcoholism under control. One night, he was invited to a party and some friends of his encouraged him to have a drink. He refused, but his friends continued to urge him, Come on, come on, just have one, one won't hurt you was their line of reasoning. Trevor reluctantly took that one drink. That one drink led to many agonising years of alcoholism again. Trevor's family suffered, he suffered, his relationships suffered, and he felt out of control. Again, Trevor went to Alcoholics Anonymous and with their help was able to stop drinking. When he told me his story some years later, he remarked that he regarded himself as a perpetual alcoholic and had to be on his guard constantly in case he fell again into alcoholism. When one has a weakness... It's wise to keep away from places and situations where that weakness may be exploited, just as happened with Trevor. I once attended some lectures where the speaker showed the audience a photograph of some of the nerve pathways in the brain. The photo was made using an electron microscope and the nerve was magnified thousands of times.
It was very revealing to see that when a particular action is repeated, the nerve pathway becomes much thicker and the signal is transferred much more easily. That's why a habit is easy to perform and hard to break. When one gives in to temptation many times over, a habit is formed. It's much harder to resist temptation the hundredth time than the first time. In a moral sense, temptation is from the devil, Satan. Satan successfully tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He unsuccessfully tempted Christ. But he tempts everyone who has ever lived. One good piece of advice is found in the book of James, chapter 4 and verse 7. It says, Therefore, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Unless there is some resistance against doing wrong, you will do wrong. If you don't resist, you will surrender, and if you surrender, you sin. Some people acknowledge that when they are trying to resist sinning, the problem seems to grow even greater. Their thoughts are focused on beating that problem, but the problem remains there, looming large all the time. Does this sound familiar to you? Well, it does to me. You know, there's some excellent advice given in the book of Philippians, chapter 4 and verse 8. It's this, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Some might say that this is passive resistance, but in my opinion, it's active resistance. Consider it this way. Let's say you have to call it a house where you've never been before. As you're walking up the path toward the front door, a savage dog appears and blocks your way. What can you do? Firstly, you could yell at the dog and perhaps try to kick it. The result would probably be an escalation of the problem with an unhappy outcome. The dog would probably attack you. The other way would be to divert the dog's attention, like picking up a stick and throwing it away from the dog, hoping the animal would chase the stick instead of you. By, diver by diverting your attention away from the sin problem, you will be experiencing something positive and wholesome, and you are actually resisting the devil by ignoring him. What a clever advice. What wisdom is to be found in the Bible. When children are learning to walk, it's not unusual for them to fall and hurt themselves. The same psychology is used to comfort them, as I've just explained about resisting the devil. The child's crying. You pick the child up and try to comfort him. 
If that does not stop the crying, you might try to divert the focus of his attention by saying something like, look at the plane up there. Shifting the attention from the problem to something else, which is good and wholesome, is great psychology and it really works. The same goes with adults who are battling temptation. Shifting the focus is great psychology. But the Bible takes this one step further. In the garden on the Mount of Olives, just prior to his betrayal, Jesus reprimanded the three disciples who were with him. What he said is recorded in Matthew 26, verse 41. He said, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This was like saying, Stay in touch with God. He will give you strength. Lift your thoughts much higher than the everyday. You see, God is the switch point. If you're focusing on God, you will choose to please him. When people sin, they avoid considering God. God God gets left out of the picture. And it's fairly certain that God is not taken into account when someone succumbs to temptation and does wrong. It is afterwards that God is considered when people who are troubled by their consciences ask for forgiveness. It would be far better not to sin in the first place. And for that reason, the Bible admonishes us to watch and pray. We'll have a little break and then go on.
Watch and pray is good advice. But it doesn't end there. When someone has submitted to temptation so often, where they have a weakness and a tendency to sin in a particular area, God is willing to help. I've known people who have recognised that they're out of control and have reached the end of their tether to the point that they can no longer keep their evil desires in check. So they pray and say to the Lord, Lord, I know I cannot beat my evil tendencies, so will you please take them away from me? I want you to govern my life. I want to submit myself to you. By doing that, these people have come to the point where God can do something and work in them. We must recognise that there's a battle going on, a battle for our allegiance. Satan is one contender, Christ the other. We must also recognise that what we're involved in is a supernatural battle. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the ruler of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. And it boils down to this, Who do we allow to rule us? Is it Satan or is it God? Satan wants to control you, but he doesn't care for you. To him, you're just another number, another score on the card, another sucker. To God, though, you are important. So important that Jesus came to this earth and sacrificed his life in order to save you and to purchase you from the realm of Satan. When a sinner repents and comes to the Lord, there is much joy in heaven. One day God will end this disastrous rule of Satan, but at the moment Satan is the defeated prince of this world, but he know, and he knows his end is coming. The Apostle John was given visions about end-time events, and in Revelation 20 he wrote what in vision he saw what happens to Satan. Verse 10 tells us this, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Thus will end the rule of sin and evil. Chapter 20 of Revelation tells us of how God will make all things new and there will be no more temptation, no more evil, no more sin and no more Satan. God's kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness. Two more points before we end. In First Peter 5, verses 6 to 8, we're told, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil 
walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan is no friend of yours and he's no friend of mine because he's not interested in our welfare. He puts a lot of effort into tempting and deceiving us, not because he likes us, because he's an enemy, the enemy of God. Temptation comes from him. There are some people who maintain that Satan does not exist. They try to explain his existence away by saying that he is a metaphorical statement for the evil desires we have within us. If that was the case, much of what is written about him would make no sense at all. But that's another subject. The devil is only allowed to operate within certain paradigms. God is ultimately in control and will not allow you to be tempted beyond your will. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, the Bible says, No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. It was God who gave us free will. We sin when we choose to act on the temptations that come our way. God will not allow us to be tempted where we no longer have a choice. And in addition, with all the temptations we have to deal with, there is a way of escape. We can turn to God for help and he will help us. As human beings, we are involved in a battle, a controversy. The stakes are high. On one hand, we can choose to submit to the temptations and commit sin. The end result of that is eternal death, oblivion. On the other hand, we can choose not to sin. We can choose to be forgiven and to be protected by our God, who loves us so very much. The end result? Endless happiness, eternal life. But ultimately, the choice is ours. Friends, I have chosen life and have chosen that my life should be ruled by the one who loves me and that's God, of course. The important question today is what do you choose? Choose life. You will never regret it. That's it for today. Won't you join me again? next time. And in the meantime, I wish you much joy and hope and peace. Mm -hmm.